I have something that I have um, given to you, an atheist view of life. I mean, have you got one? Everybody got one? An atheist view of life. Now, I want you to just follow along. Don't read ahead. I didn't say go. Y'all worse than the college kids and I get ready to give them an exam. And they start and I haven't, wait, wait, we haven't had prayer yet. I didn't say go. So, all right. Are you ready yet? Okay, we're all ready. All right, an atheist view of life. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It is just foolish to think that there is a God with a cosmic plan, that an all-powerful God brings redemption and healing to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you, you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think I am lost and in need of saving. Now, the Christian viewpoint, we start at the bottom and read it the other direction. So from a Christian viewpoint, I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think everything is fine. But with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be. Is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought, however, that an all-powerful God brings redemption and healing to the pain and suffering in the world. That there is a God with a cosmic plan, it is just foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs. Now, don't that make sense? See, it all depends on your perspective. Whether you look at it from an atheistic point of view, or you look at life through a Christian point of view. So, uh, I thought you would like that. And I know you did. You have another note. Didn't I give you all another note? These are just a few little highlights that I took out of the little booklet that I had done. But I changed a few things. I do believe it's important that we see what God has to say. And repetition is theological mucilage. Who said that? Mark Cameron said that. He said, what does it mean? I don't know, but he said it all the time. He said, there's more mud you throw on the wall, the more it's going to stick. So just keep throwing more mud at the wall. In other words, you keep repeating things, going over it again and again and again, because nobody remembers everything that you say the first time. You always have to repeat things, repeat. And so this is a little bit about what we do. So take your Bible and turn to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 8. And look there in verse 1. It kind of goes along with what I was talking about this morning. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So the alternative to God has to be what they call evolution. It's a, a world without a God. So man just makes himself God. 
And so he does whatever's right in his own eyes, if there is such a thing as right, because then you have to have something that is wrong. Do you think dogs get together and say, you know, that was wrong? You shouldn't have done that. That was, that was wrong. Bad dog. Dogs don't, they don't do that. But here in the book of Psalms, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. And that means to be seen by all the world. So that we see, and this goes up to chapter 19, Psalms 19, about the glory of God, the handiwork of God, the things that he's made, the things that we can see is to show his glory. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. See, these are all things that God has done. What is man that thou art mindful of him? So you're talking about a world that God has made. And we ought to be thankful that we're part of this world. And to think that in all the time that has already been upon the earth, God allowed you and I to be born at this time upon the earth. I know sometimes we'd like to live in the past. Some people like to live in the future. But we have to live right now. This is the time God allotted for us. We didn't determine it, but it's our turn. Now we know from history that history repeats itself because people don't listen and learn. They just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. So here we are. Are we going to do like all the other generations or do we want to be different? I made up my mind years ago, Lord, I don't want to live like everybody else. I don't want to be like everybody else. Seems like everybody else doesn't care about what you want. And I do. Now, I know there's a lot of people like me now, but at that time, I didn't know many people. I didn't know many people that knew the Lord and loved the Lord. And I thought, everybody ought to think this way. Everybody ought to feel this way. Well, it didn't take long before I found out that everybody don't think that way. I think everybody ought to just know the Lord and love the Lord. I think all of God's children ought to serve the Lord with all their heart. Stop and think about it. Don't it make sense? Well, then why don't everybody do it? Why isn't everybody faithful? But they don't. They don't always do the things that are right. So, yes, there's a, a price to pay. Now, look there in Psalms 19. Psalms 19. These are verses, Psalms, you should be very, very familiar with. And we've said this before. The Word of God and the world that God created should be in harmony, and they are. But the world that God made, there was nothing wrong with it. And the word that God gave, there's nothing wrong with that. But man, because of sin, has corrupted the world. And so God said there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. But the world that we're in is the evidence that there is a true and a living God. And so the first six verses talks about the world. And then the rest of that chapter from verse 7 down to verse 14 talks about the word of God. So look what he says there in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So what God made is evidence that there's a God. 
man did not do all of this. Man didn't design all of this. But there's people who don't believe that God is God. Day unto day uttereth speech. You say, what do they say? Night unto night showeth knowledge. Well, what does it say? Well, it tells us things about God. You see, it says that there, there's a God. It also says that uh, He is a great God. It, it also says that He is a good God. So this is what these things that God made says about God. That it reveals His eternal power. That it has to have a beginning in this world, but God could not have had a beginning. He's always been. And so these are some tremendous things. But now, look in your notes just as I kind of cover a few of these things, just so that you have them in your mind, and you never know at what time you may be talking to a person, and something from these notes just might jump out at you and be just the right thing to say. You see, just to learn these things is no value to it, unless it just satisfies your own soul and gives you a little bit more security, which is nice to have. But we learn things so that we might use things, that we might use it. Uh, this morning, you know, there was a, a young man that came and sat back there, Joe Weaver. So after the service was over with, and I walked back in, and I saw her. And I almost forgot all about it because we had a meeting going on in there, and I had somebody else. And then, so I, I went back there to see him before I left. And she was still standing there. I asked her, I says, I want to talk to you. So came into my office. And we got into the office. I, I asked her, I says, do you know where you're going to go when you die? She says, well, I says, you hesitate. That means you're not sure. I says, you're not sure, are you? She said, no. And her eyes got red. I says, but you want to know. Ain't that right? So she sat there, and I gave her the gospel and explained it to her. And even though she's heard it sitting in here, it still can't be one-on-one. -on -one. Don't just take it for granted that everybody that comes, well, they didn't raise their hands so everybody's saved. That would be a big error. If you see somebody that's new and you don't know them, watch and see. And maybe even have a nice word to say to them afterwards. But I thought to myself, self, if I hadn't talked to her, she might have left here lost. True? Somebody else should have talked to her. Now, I hate to say this is a rebuke, but it is a rebuke. Because if I had not have come back out of here, I may not have talked to that girl, or she could have left. But she trusts the Lord, and she was so thankful. So anyway, when you know what the Word of God tells us to do, that's priority. If when you talk even to a person that may be atheistic, remember one of the notes that I had down there is be kind and considerate, and patient, and all those things, because you still want to win them. And they might not really be an atheist. They just have questions and answers. And you may learn all of this stuff, and it may serve a purpose to win a soul. You want things that can help you to be effective, that you can talk to them and explain it to them. Number two, every step in evolution requires a greater miracle than creation itself, because there's no one to produce the miracle. 
because something coming from nothing would require a miracle. It would be a, a miracle. So that's why evolution is not true, because there's nobody to perform the miracle of how anything came to be. Number three, it is reasonable to assume that the earth made itself or someone made it. That's just being logical. The world is here. I didn't do it. Did you do it? Somebody did it. And it wasn't us. And it's a sense it could not make itself. Because plan means a planner, and design means a designer, and laws means a lawgiver. And a person who's an atheist, they don't believe in any of those things. Everything happens by random chance, just, uh, you know, micromutations that takes place and so forth. But it's not those things that happens within a species. We're talking about something a little bit bigger, something coming from nothing. Life coming from non-life. It's never happened. I mean, you've never seen a rock give birth to a plant. Never seen a plant give birth to an animal. Never seen an animal give birth to another, a human. And so in everything, there is limitations. We call it sometimes the fixity of the species. It just means there's a boundary of reproduction that cannot be passed. Look at the next statement. Number five, God doesn't depend upon anyone else for his existence. That's why he is a self-existing God. He had no beginning. He has no ending. He has always been. And I have to be honest with you, that blows my mind. I'm always trying to figure out how God could ever think. The Bible says that his thoughts unto me is monumental. That he thinks about me all the time. And I've wondered, how can God think? Because there's nothing to think about. He knows it all. When I think, it's because I'm trying to figure out something. There's nothing for God to figure out. He's always been. So he knows the end from the beginning. What is there for him to search, to find out what works, what doesn't work? He already knows. I can't wait to get to heaven because I got a lot of questions to ask God. But so what? He got all eternity to answer them. And then when I get to heaven, he may just open our minds and we know it and understand. And we shall be known as we are known. But then look at the next statement. In Psalms 94, look over there, Psalms 94. I've used this many, many times especially in when I was going to different schools and speaking. And look there in uh, verse 9. In verse 9 says this, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? And he that formed the eye, shall he not see? Don't it make sense that if somebody's going to make an ear, they ought to know what it's for? Somebody makes an eye. Well, what's it for? So why, how can a, a brain develop something that it didn't know there's a purpose for it. Now, they often talk about the vestigial organs that it eliminates from your body, the organs that you no longer have need of or have a purpose. Well, you can understand the, you know, natural selection. It eliminates something that's unfit. So nature eliminates the unfit. But it can't explain the fit, the arrival of the fittest. They can't explain that. They try to talk about the survival of the fittest. No, it's not the survival of the fittest. It's the arrival of the fittest. How did it ever arrive? How did it ever get here? How did the good get here and the bad get here that it was eliminated? I just have a few questions like that. 
But here in Psalms 94, he says in verse 10, He that chastises the heathen, shall not he correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. See, God knows everything. And there's things that man does not know. Now, in the middle of that statement of number six, there's a little statement I have called, How or why should a blob produce an ear without knowing if there is sound? Or why should a blob produce an eye without knowing that there is light? You see, something without a brain, I'm supposed to believe, produced something like the eye. And like I said before, where did the eye come from? Well, a light-sensitive spot like a freckle. But what if those light-sensitive spots had developed in the seat of your pants? Every time you sit down, you go blind. Isn't it wonderful they just happen to be right there? I, my mother has one back here. She has an eye in the back of her head. We knew it because Mama saw everything. Nothing could get away from my mom. And next thing you know, she'd be walking up and slapping me upside the head. You say, your mother slapped you. Yes, she did. I had the meanest mother in the world. No, I had a mother who didn't put up with no foolishness. <laughs> and when she said scat, she meant scat. So um, look at the next statement, number seven. After a few thousand years, let's say that the blob wanted to evolve an eye. Which came first, the light or the eye? Because the uh, eye has no purpose unless there's light waves. How does this thing without a brain know there's anything else to see? Why develop an eye when it doesn't even know it's going to work when you start? And how does it make it work? How does something without a brain start even to develop an eye? Does he know there's something else to see? Well, who told it? There's no brain. There's no plan. There's no designer. You see, there's no God. There's no intellect. Just random chance. For a person to be an evolutionist, you'd have to be a fool. A literal fool to believe that evolution is true. Because, see, they can't answer these things because there are no answers for them. But we can believe because, see, we believe there's a God. And God says, he that made the eye, shall he not see? And he that made the ear, shall he not hear? So what came first, the ear or the sound? Why develop an ear if you don't know there's sound waves? Now, sound waves and light waves are two different things. I can see something, and I can hear something, but they travel at different speeds. And that can really mess you up sometimes, especially if you're trying to keep in step in the beats, you know, what you're seeing, and you're easily happen. So you have something without a brain developing something like an eye or something like an ear. And yet, if it has to be developed over years and years and millions of years, if natural selection is true, why doesn't nature select to eliminate that unfit organ from your body because it's not finished? And if it's not finished, it has no purpose. It's incomplete. can't be used. So it would be detrimental to the teaching of evolution. It ought to eliminate anything that has to be produced over millions of years. And that little heart of mine that pumps blood through my body, how does it know to pump blood through my body? What came first, my body or my heart? Is it possible that maybe I got them at the same time? See, if I believe in God, I could, it makes sense. But if I believe in evolution, did I get my body? 
that it may be made first before I got my heart. But the body can't live without the heart. And the heart has no purpose if there's no body. And then you break the scientific law of biogenesis. Bio, law of biogenesis states that life must come from life and exist on previous life. Now, evolution is not scientific because it breaks scientific laws. But when we believe life came from life, we believe God is life. He is eternal life. I am the way, the life. I, hey, that's who he is. So life can come from life, and we came from life. Everybody in this room, we came from previous life. And we eat and live off of that which is alive. We don't eat wood. Oh, maybe some of you do. <laughs> but we have to live off of something that is alive. But that's just the way it is. Now take your Bible, look in Hebrews chapter 3. The book of Hebrews in chapter 3. Now, this is just something that's reasonable for us to understand. We're supposed to believe that which is reasonable. God even expects that. When he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, God wasn't looking for an argument. He assumes you know that. He assumes you know that there's a God. So when he says in chapter 3, Look there in verse 3. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Well, that's an assumption. If you see a house, you know somebody built that house. I told him one time in the ranch, I says, I was walking down the road one day, and lo and behold, there was this, Oh, dirt laying out there, just laying out there in the field, just laying there. Next day I came by there, and the dirt just started kicking itself out of the ground. And then I saw these blocks coming down the road, and they went up there, and they formed the footing and the foundations. I said, but there's no plan. There's no design. All of a sudden I saw walls going up, but it did it all by itself. And I said, what was really neat is watching those electric wires go up the things and cross over it, and they was making places for lights to be and, and even the thing to develop doors. I mean, all of it had windows in it, but it was just, it just happened. Did nobody planned it? It just, it just happened all by itself. And I said, now, if I keep talking like this, you're going to think I'm either nuts or I had a vision or something happened. But there's no way you're going to believe what I'm telling you because every house is natural to assume somebody built that. And so when God shows us his world, it's only natural for us to believe he did that. And God's going to hold you accountable. He doesn't have to prove to you and me anything. He don't owe us an explanation. He just simply says, I did it. You prove I didn't. And I ain't going to take and waste my life trying to do that. Number 12. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. God assumes that we believe that he made all things, just as we assume someone built a house. 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 4, we don't have to turn there, but just look at the notes there. And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue. And in your Bible, you ought to underline these three words, because this is what they say. As, um, as they were. Everything continued as they were. And that is not true. 
Because God has brought a flood. And things have changed. So God has intervened. But they said, nothing's happened, nothing's changed. Well, that's because you're ignorant. And God keeps His promise, God keeps His word. And what I have here in bold, evolution and creation are opposites. If you believe both, now get this, it's a very important statement. If you believe both, then it's because you don't understand either one. Because you cannot believe. Well, God could have created by the process of evolution. No, He did not. So how do you know? He says He took dirt from the ground and He formed it into a body and He breathed into the nostrils and man became a living soul. And that's how He said He did it. And that was the first man. There was nobody else before Him. So God's already said how He did it. And he says, on this day, he created this, and he created it, and created it. Now, either he's telling the truth or he's lying. I believe God tells the truth. Now, down to the bottom of the page, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Look at this, because this is so important. Uh, a powerful verses here in this book. Chapter 1 is really an awesome chapter in the book of Romans. But he says, for you to understand, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to save whosoever believeth. But the gospel, in verse 17 and 18, it reveals the wrath of God and the righteousness of God so that people know God is upset. God is angry. He's angry because of the sinfulness of man, but he sent his son into the world to take care of the sin problem. And he would give us his righteousness. So the gospel includes that in verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from heaven. And then in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. So the righteousness and the wrath, both revealed through the gospel. And here's why God is so upset with the world. Because he says, I made the world. It's my evidence. You know it's true. You ought to believe that it's true. And he says here in verse 19, Because that which may be known of God that you can't see is manifested by those things that you can see is manifest in them for God had showed it unto them. The evidence that man needs to know that there is a God is the world itself. Look in a mirror. You say, man did that. You know you could have done better. But you look in the mirror. And what you see is what you get. But don't worry about it. It keeps changing. We're all getting older, and some of us, uh, you know, that's one of the, we're just going to die. We're going to die. But what is so neat about this verse is it says, like in verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world or evolution of the world. Creation. Now, you'll hear some people talk, and they'll even mention it on television, about the evolution of uh, the telephone, the evolution of the automobile. Well, one, I think it's a misuse of the word. I think it's the development of a telephone or the, the development of an automobile. But when you say evolution, did it evolve on its own? Did it create itself? And did that phone, you know, from the kind we used to dial and then now we walk around with it in our hands. Did it do it by itself? Or was there an 
intelligent person at the beginning who designed that thing and made it work. And then over time, they kept developing it and adding more things to it until now we got that little bitty thing and we can walk around with it and get messages from everywhere. Now, that is the development of a telephone, but that is not the evolution of a telephone. It did not evolve on its own, by itself, without purpose, without plan, and we're supposed to believe it did. You wouldn't believe that, no more than if I was to take this watch off, lay it up here, and if I was to take all the pieces apart, and they all laid over the desk up here, how long would we have to wait before these pieces, all by themselves, without any outside help, how long would it be before they came together, all by themselves, and then they wound itself up? And keep perfect time. How long will we have to wait? Now the evolutionists say, if you have enough time, anything's possible. But that's not true. Because the second law of thermodynamics teaches that everything runs down toward randomness and disorder and decay. It's going to rust, fall apart, and it'll never come together. It'll never happen. Time is against the evolutionists, not for them. So, this watch, it will never be. There is a designer of this watch. Somebody had a plan when they put it together, and somebody made it happen. Just like these bodies of ours. Somebody designed these bodies to work. And for all of it to come together, it had to be at the same time. I'm kind of glad. And I don't know how evolution explains the sex life of the amoeba. You know, how to split up and stay happy at the same time. I don't know how they can do this. Or at what point did they say, let's stop doing it this way and let's do it another way. You be the male and I'll be the female. Now how do they determine who got to be the male and who got to be the female and how do they make it happen? And it had to be happening over millions of years, okay, but they died. I have a thought, he's dead. I got a thought, he's dead. How do they make anything happen? You can't do it, and you're on the top of the evolutionary ladder. Can you buy thought? You know, I think I'll play in the NBA. I need another two feet. I think I'll just, I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Boom. Okay. James Hayslip. Okay. You, you can't do it. There's just things you're limited. But anyway, this verse... Evolution and creation are opposite. If you believe both, you don't understand either one of them. And then in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, where we just read, these things are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. There's things you cannot see about God, invisible things. But you'll know it's true because of the things that God has revealed. And God says, that is enough evidence so when it gets down to it, I don't try to spend too much of my time trying to convince an atheist that there is a God. Because I don't believe he really believes that there is no God. I believe that they're most of the time looking for a way to dispel guilt from their mind and sin from their life so they can do whatever they want to do because every man wants to do that which is right in his own eyes. So let's just all believe, and they have to teach themselves to believe that there is no God. But there is a God. And I've led some of these so-called atheists to Christ, and they weren't real atheists at all. Now, there probably might be somebody that'll believe that. That's fine with them. 
But now look in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened, and they became evolutionists. Now, that's what it says. That last statement, I just threw that in there for you. Now, look in the back of your page. Top of the page up there, number 16. By what stretch of the imagination would evolution be considered scientific when it breaks scientific laws? Number 18, evolutionists or atheists must believe that matter gave life to itself. Because where did life come from? They have never demonstrated that life came from anything. They say they can create life, and all they've done is take something that is life and split it and try to make it. See, there's two of them. I, I made one of those. Everything happens by chance, they say. That's why they need lots of time. And yet it's just the opposite in helping them. Number 19. Does a duck have webbed feet because it takes to the water? Or does it take to the water because it has webbed feet? But you know, you usually, if you make a ship, and you design a ship, and then you look at it and say, now, what is this for? What does it do? Well, generally you have an idea. This is, they go in the water. And you put it in the water, and it works. And a duck has webbed feet. Well, that's because he took to the water. No, he had that before he went to the water. Somebody designed it that way. I believe God designed. Look at the next statement, number 20. When we are taught that we are just animals, we act like animals, dress like animals, think like animals, and have morals. And I put a few little question marks in there, but what are those? Like animals. This will eventually be the consequence of following the belief in evolution to its logical conclusion. When we are taking everything that is good, righteous, just, and holy away from the young people today, they are not going to have any moral grounding, standing. Nothing to hold on to. There's, there's no anchor for them. And so they're all adrift. They're just drifting. And that's why they go from one crisis to the next and they have no stability in their life and they can be corralled like animals and so forth and manipulated because they don't think for themselves. And you have a few people that go in and can stir up a whole crowd and, and so forth. I just can't see myself being part of something like that. If I see something happen and I can see what's going on, I can reason, why are they getting all excited about this? Just because if, even if some policeman did something wrong, how does me going into a building and burning it down and stealing something justify, well, they shouldn't have done that. Well, what did you just do? Hypocrites. And then we have some leaders that justify all of this junk. But you see, you and I are supposed to believe God. And we have something that helps us to restrain ourselves, to give us an anchor and therefore, we have a, a rock that we stand upon. So I believe this makes sense. Can four gases give birth to conscience and intelligence and a free will? And if we did come from a one-celled amoeba, what is the product of evolution? Why are they believing in a God if there is no God? Evolution caused us to believe there's a God. And there is no God. You see, why do we have intellect? What is morality? Who says what's right and wrong? If there is a God, we have accountability. Somebody made us.
put us here for a short period of time. And we're leaving, and we got, as the Bible says, a day in court. And after this, the judgment. So I just wrote down here the last three things here. Does your life reflect the belief in God or no God? Here you are, you and I, we, we believe in God. We believe that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross, paid for our sins. We know that, we believe that, we're going to heaven. But in your life, does your life reflect the life of an atheist who doesn't know God, does have no God, and does whatever he wants to do with his life? Is it possible that God's children can have that same basic philosophy to do their own thing and go their own way as though God has nothing to do with it and live a life like an atheist? Is it possible? You think about that. Do you live as a believer or an unbeliever? How do you live? Do you worry or do you trust? Do you pray? Does it really matter? I remember some woman making this statement. What does it matter? Should have put her over there and said, well, what does it matter? Some of y'all know what I'm thinking. I can't believe y'all. Does it really matter? Yes or no? Do you think like a believer? Or do you think like an unbeliever? What guides your life? You believe the Bible is true? Do you go by it? We should. Look up here. Today, after the service was over there, I checked the internet. What well, was on my phone? We had about two or three that indicated they trusted Christ as Savior today from the internet. And uh, somebody a couple days ago, it was in uh, Sweden, in Sweden that trusted the Lord. Then somebody else from another place, I don't forget where it was from. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God loves us. I don't care what a person, where they stand. I want them to know God loves you. In spite of everything, God loves you. This little message is the most powerful message in the world. It can bring down the most hard-hearted individual. But God loves us, hates our sin. And the Bible says that we have to be perfect to go to heaven, and we're not. And because we've all sinned, we're all condemned. And God says you cannot earn eternal life. You cannot work your way to heaven. It's not by your good works, your good life. It is a gift. It is totally free. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into this world because he loves us, but he hates our sin. See, our sin separates us from the Lord. So Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And God said if we believe he did it for us, he'd put this payment to our account. We get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. I have eternal life. And when you trust Christ as your Savior, you are joined together with the Lord. And that is a union that cannot be broken. There is nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God. Once you are his, he said, I'll never cast you out. I'll never lose you. I give them eternal life, and no man shall pluck them out of my hands. That's the best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you do that? Would you trust him right now? And if you will, I'd like to know, I'd like to have prayer for you. So I'm going to ask if you will right now, 
If you'll trust Christ as your Savior, just to let me know by slipping your hand up and putting it right back down. Is there anyone at all? So yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. If you've already trusted the Lord, you don't have to do it again. But if you never have, do it right now. If you're watching by internet, right where you are, you can, yes, you can trust Christ as your Savior. That means you're trusting Him to take you to heaven when you die. You cannot save yourself. This church cannot save you. This preacher cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. You can't save you. Your good works cannot save you. You must trust the Lord. Will you believe that when he died, he died to pay for your sins so that you wouldn't have to do it? And he only says, will you believe it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the people and help them to each one to understand all the ministries of the church are our ministries. It's my ministry. It's their ministry. And we want everything here. All these ministries is what makes this church walk. And Father, sometimes maybe you want us to run. Sometimes you may want us to stand still. But Father, help us to be involved in as much as we can. We want every phase of the ministry here. We want everything to succeed. We want it to be done for your honor and for your glory. So bless the Lord. We ask your blessings upon each person here, and thank you for all you do for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.